The Worker Learner Podcast is brought to you by the Professional Learning Hub, Griffith University's platform for executive and professional education. Bringing together the expertise of Griffith University's academics and research centres, our professional learning is designed to deliver creative solutions for the workplace of tomorrow. Whether you are looking for opportunities for yourself or your team, we have you covered. Hi, I'm Associate Professor Johanna Nalao and I'll be your host for this episode. I'm a client adaptation scientist who's curious about how humans adapt to change and how we imagine futures under uncertainty. But even more, I'm in love with curiosity and innovative ideas and I seek to have conversations on this podcast with people who know the ins and outs of this. My guest today is Kian Bakhtiari. We actually met last year in Korea, Resilience Frontiers, uh, a United Nations Climate Initiative, and I was super impressed with his work and ideas. Kian used to be the head of strategy at the marketing company, but is now startup founder of The People, which is a super cool organization based in London, bringing the voices of young people into the boardrooms of leading brands like Adidas and L'Oreal. Kian is passionate about social change, how ideas spread, and how we can each make an impact in the work that we do. In this episode, we'll discuss Kian's professional and personal journey today, what inspired the people, and what Kian sees as key skills in navigating uncertain futures. Kian, welcome. Pleasure to be here with you, Johanna. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What has your professional journey been so far? Yeah, sure. Um, I was just reflecting. I think the title, The Worker Learner, is adept because for me, it's been all about learning throughout that journey. So I, I'll start from the beginning. So I was originally born in Iran and I came to the UK when I was quite young. So I was a kid. I was eight years old. And I think for anyone who's either lived in two countries or moved, it gives you a perspective on different cultures. And it just makes you think that there's not one way of doing things. So that's Mm. very early on. And then I proceeded with school. I was, I wasn't bad at school, but I was very mischievous. And I would often get in uh, trouble. You mentioned curiosity. So I would ask a lot of questions. And I wasn't very good at following the rules or the order of things. But then I studied sociology at university and really just looking at how society interacts, but also the dynamics that uh, create social interaction. And for me, again, it wasn't so much the curriculum, but outside of that, just being able to explore different theories, and different examples of how you can have, yeah, different so- social norms mm. dependent on where you grow up and the environment you have. So, and like a lot of people that graduate, I'm sure a lot of your students are the same. I wanted to change the world. And so I went into the world of politics. So I was a researcher. Uh, House of Parliament, 
which sounds great, but it was incredibly boring and monotonous. And I think um, a lesson there is that's okay. You kind of learn as much from what you don't like or what you're not passionate about as you do what you are. And for me, there was a lot of recommendations, but not much action. And then eventually I moved into the world of media and marketing, which was very fast paced, very (laughs) different. And that's really where I worked mainly as youth insight lead and then eventually head of strategy for some of the world's biggest brands. And it was an amazing time because you learn how things are communicated. You learn how to change people's attitudes and get people to take action in a different way to when I was in policy, for example. But at the same time, I noticed all of it was just focused on selling more stuff to more people. And the question I ask is, what if you could use the same tools to get people to make it, yeah, to do something that's better for everyone. And at the same time, I noticed that a lot of young people's voices weren't being heard in the creative process and the decision-making process. So four years ago, I launched The People, which is a startup. We're a Gen Z consultancy powered by a global community of young change makers. And it's very much in the name. So it's making sure the voices of the people are represented in those rooms, in the decision-making process, especially in the private sector. That's not always the case. So we're, what we're trying to do is advocate change from within business while also supporting the community outside. And that's pretty much my whole life story. (laughs) (laughs) I love that how you have so many different kind of roles and jobs that you've had, but also the way that it's a summarized, you know, what you've learned and what your insights have been. And the mix and the mix kind of background of, you know, having marketing and then social impact and then, you know, leading um, to find um, the people is really fascinating. Um, something that I'm really curious about is how do you measure impact at the people? And how, how do you see the relationship between marketing and, and then social impact? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And one, if I'm honest with you, uh, we've really struggled from a perspective of we are trying to marry these two worlds that don't always meet because the metrics for a business, so we're a business, we are a for-profit business, we're not a charity. And the challenges that comes with that is the metrics for a business and the metrics for society and actually the environment aren't always the same, how you Mm. measure success and progress. Not only are they different, but sometimes they can clash. So if we were to look at the traditional view, the only metric to measure impact in a business is revenue and profit margins. And if I'm honest, that's not the only way we view things. So we have to make sure we're profitable as a business because otherwise we wouldn't exist and we wouldn't be able to make an impact. But beyond that, for us, the main metrics are number of community members and young people supported. The happiness 
of the team and our clients and our partners that work with us and also the change that our projects create. So those are the main metrics. What I would say about them is you'll notice unlike profit or revenue, they're not hard metrics. So it's mm. how do you measure happiness? How do you measure meaning? How do you measure human emotion and feeling and connection? So I think it's important to have the qualitative side as well as the quantitative. Mm. Something, I mean, going back to, to kind of your background and think about the theme of, of work and learning for this podcast, what are some of the skills that you feel that you've really kind of excelled straight away as a startup founder? Um, and are there things that or skills that you hope now that, oh, I wish I would have, known this or had this skill before I founded the people. Is that from a kind of startup perspective mm. of what what would have been useful yeah. if I could go yeah. back, let's say, four years? Like making the leap for being, you know, working for these big companies and being the head of strategy and then kind of, <laughs> you know, find, finding yeah. um, your own fit. Yeah, so a few things, and I, I kind of use the lens of what would have been useful for me because that's often a useful mm. way of having things. I think first one is just having a vision, which is super important because otherwise things can get diluted and you can get swayed by areas. So being very solid with what the vision is for the business but at the same time being flexible in how that manifests itself because you can become really, yeah, you can become very kind of detail-orientated. You can become adamant of what the business and the proposition and the process looks like, but mm. the outside world has a different idea. I don't know if you've heard of the Mike Tyson quote, so it's very famous. It's almost like a philosophical, uh, yeah, adage almost. So Mike Tyson, heavyweight boxer, and he would say, everyone was afraid of him, but he'd say, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the right. face. And I think it's similar to that. You can plan as much as possible, but being flexible to the market is really important. The other things which I think it was different to being part of a global multinational company is projects would just land on my desk. Whereas in this scenario, being able to kind of connect with people, networking, uh, sales, sales skills, I think sometimes sales is viewed as this kind of uh, almost, yeah, I would say almost in a kind of derogatory way, but actually without sales you won't be able to have a business so i think the t the two areas i would say is the vision and the flexibility and how do you combine those two and then second to that is the sales and the commercial mm. aspect of being just commercially aware and then just the last one i would say is just finding your people when we started we tried to go and reach everyone and what i've learned through the process is actually not everyone's with it and not everyone kind of sees the vision. So it's really yeah. important to focus on the people that actually care. Mm. 
That's great. And I like I know you're really passionate about social movements and how ideas, you know, go from early states to kind of mass impact. What are some of the examples of social movements or ideas that have really influenced you and your work? And um, what do you think we could learn from those? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because when we think of social movements, or at least when I've always thought of them, you can't you tend to think of this kind of big bang moment, this kind mm. of huge moment which everything's upended, the status quo moves away and a new way of thing, doing things is born. So it feels like a big revolution. And I think what's interesting when I look at social movements and the work we do is contrary to that belief, it actually starts with a small number of people that are really dedicated and they are one, unsatisfied with how things are done, but two, they have a vision for how things could be done differently. So I think that's really important, that first part of when we think of social movements, you tend to think of the end goal rather than how they start, Mm. which is uh, a small number of dedicated people. And actually, I I would go as far as saying, if we were to think of social movements beyond, let's say, political realm, if we look at ideas or technology, Actually, everything that exists today has been born out of something really small, a small idea, a small technology, which people have taken on. And it's now reached mass appeal so much so Mm. that we don't even kind of question it or think about it. And necessarily, it doesn't have to be positive either. It could even, there's plenty of examples throughout (laughs) history where it hasn't been positive. Mm. But I think the process itself is interesting. And there's so many examples. Um, I I always like to use the coffee example. For me, it's really interesting because coffee was first, yeah, first discovered in East Africa, Ethiopia, that region of the world, and then eventually Yemen. But the use case for it was for these Sufi dervishes, so a kind of strand of Muslims who would kind of want to pray all day. So, and they'd need to stay awake. Mm. And in order to do that, so they didn't want to sleep, they would drink coffee. So it started out as this really kind of niche uh, product, really. And then through the trade between the east and the west and also actually people understanding the benefits of it during industrialization it's become one of the world's most popular drinks Mm. but i think what what that shows is it's something that starts really small but actually it's also it can be really fast but sometimes social movements begin in waves Hmm. And I actually think in today's world, there is a lot of those waves already out there. Computers are another great example where uh, back in the day, they might have been only accessible in universities or scientists like yourself, (laughs) Johanna, or mathematicians or engineers. But actually, eventually, 
there's a tipping point where they reach uh, new audiences. Mm. So, and yeah. what I take from that is for us, the work we do, where are those small areas or who are those kind of small groups that are really advocating for change and how can we support them through an early adoption movement? Hmm. Coming back to the people, um, I know your tagline is, or <laughs> branding, is uh, help ambitious brands to build a more inclusive and sustainable future. I'm just interested, what examples can you give, if you can, um, in, in terms of where that has been done really well? And, and for those not maybe familiar um, with the people, how does the inclusion of these younger generations actually change how decisions are made? Yeah, so we've actually updated our tagline. <laughs> I should have mentioned that, but it's still it's still the same idea of yeah. It, it's still the same. So it's about diversifying and future proofing companies, and the way we do that is by amplifying the voices of young people and underserved communities. So I think that's important to note if we're thinking about the Worker Learner podcast and people think about the future of business. It's We've got two, two areas of the business that work together and together they create something that's stronger than if they were separate. So mm-hmm. a, a traditional marketing company would support companies with their content, with their communication, with their activation. But often that can be quite extractive where nothing is going back into the community then on the flip side an ngo or a community-based organization might support the community but they might not have the resources or the skills or the network of an international global business so what we're doing is we're bringing those two worlds together so we give young people a voice and a platform to share their thoughts their ideas what they want to see in the world But by doing so, a lot of these bigger businesses also need to adapt to the future. They need to diversify. They need to reach new markets. And they also need to future-proof. So for them, there's a business benefit to understanding, connecting, and co-creating with young people. And in terms of the change it makes, it's, it's twofold. I think the first one is giving young people a seat at the when it comes to decision making for businesses it's a fresh perspective which then leads to doing things differently experimenting understanding what doesn't work and what works but ultimately Mm -hmm. what we want to do and probably the best example is our youth advisory boards is we want to change the governance structure where at the moment really the only people to answer to are shareholders. And again, that's just based on this is what the shareholders expected at the end of the quarter. What we're saying is actually a business. And I think there is a growing movement. There's a lot of great examples of businesses doing this, but there are different uh, stakeholders that businesses should be serving. One is their employees within the business. So we do a lot of work how to support internally, 
within an organization because they're actually your best source of innovation. They understand the business, they live the business or the organization. Mm. Yeah. So why, and often that goes almost ignored because they're there, you don't kind of tap into this rich resource. And then the second one is the community. So being able to make sure the voices of communities are heard in the business decision-making process. So that's something we do. We set up youth advisory boards that advise, so they're not decision-making boards, but they advise businesses on their future strategies. And do you have specific examples where you, kind of when you think about that example, you kind of see a real change? Yeah, I can share a couple. So the first one is uh, actually recent. We've recently launched a youth advisory board for Pentland Brands. So they're, they're an amazing uh, family-owned business. And actually, there's a lot of evidence that family-owned businesses tend to think more long-term. And they own brands like Speedo, Berghaus, LS, Mitre, Kickers. So lots of sports, lifestyle brands. And we've built them a youth advisory board all around the globe. So from India, China, Vietnam, US, the UK. So the benefit to that is both getting a global lens of the perspectives of communities and young people from around the world, because the world is becoming increasingly, uh, in some ways, not necessarily the opposite of globalized, but we have to understand different cultures and nations. It can't be very kind of Eurocentric. So Mm. that's one area of value. The other is actually understanding what do young people want from the world of work, What do they want that to look like? And thirdly, it's to help them understand how to connect with future consumers, because ultimately, young people are the future of every business. So that's Mm. one example. Another one is L'Oreal. So we worked with them on all their ranges are for him and for her. And their challenge was, what does that mean for a new generation that doesn't really ascribe to those gender norms? So a lot of our projects are, the world has moved on. How do we adapt to it? And for that, we brought together members of our community who are non-binary to share their lived experiences. And again, these are communities that are often not involved or included. And if they are, they are at the end as a kind of tick box exercise. And what we're trying to do, Johanna, is bring them to be involved at the very start of the process mm. so that's a, so that's really great examples and i feel like i think we often don't we often undermine or we don't understand you know we talk about inclusion we talk about diversity but when um as a principle but i really love the examples where you know there is actual change and i think it's also like for the young people feeling that they do matter and, that, you know, their voices are actually actually being heard. And it's, you know, in a way you said it is also a benefit for, for those businesses as well. Um, I want to shift, shift a bit to the future because I know that <laughs> we've, you know, we've discussed a lot, um, you know, what, what is the future world going to, going to look like? 
what do you see when you think about our world in 2050? What possibilities, you know, could exist for work, professions um, that we currently are not paying attention to? Um, I know you always say that imagination is, a, is really important. Um, but, you know, I mean, you work with the, with the young people. <laughs> um, what do you think that that world is going to be, you know, 2050 when, when they have grown up or are growing up? Mm. It's interesting because I think even that question of uh, what could 2050 look like is super interesting because in some ways it's up to us to shape that. And I think sometimes it's easy to... Imagination is super important, but sometimes it's easy to kind of detract or decouple uh, strategy and future thinking and those two have become different things where on one corner you're kind of planning for the current and on the other part very rare most most people and it's not their fault have kind of not had the headspace or the ability to imagine a future and I think it's really interesting how do you bring those Mm. two worlds together and design a future of what and I think we we kind of have had conversations around this especially uh, in South Korea of how do you work backwards from what could 2050 look like and then work towards that in terms of practicalities from my perspective there's a real shift and we see it we hear it all the time of generational expectations at work of a young as you said the younger generation coming into the world of work and it's beautiful in my perspective it's it sounds controversial but they're super like unconstrained and have no baggage when it comes to how things are done and that can be a beautiful thing where when you don't know how things are done, you don't hold any of those assumptions mm. and it allows you to imagine. So I think sometimes we think of this imagination as this amazing kind of creative process of like a genius, I don't know, like Steve Jobs kind of sticking stuff on the wall. And actually, I think sometimes it's the removal of barriers and assumptions that can allow us to imagine and I think that's when we work with young people in our community that's what they bring to the table like sometimes they'll say something or they'll ask something or they'll demand something that when a business hears it they're shocked and that's not a bad thing because what that does is it makes them think differently the question becomes how do you reconcile those two worlds or make sure they can collaborate together from my perspective, I think if we think about the world of work, we almost don't know what that would look like. And I'm quite happy to say that because mm. a lot of the job roles that we have today, and there's a lot of studies on this, that kind of the future job roles are going to look very different to the ones now. So they're perfect for the Worker Learner podcast. It's <laughs> about learning. It's about the ability to learn and gain mm. skills rather than focusing on a specific uh, profession. I think my, I'm hopeful that hopefully 
companies will become companies in the definition of a group of work people working together for a shared mission. And therefore, everyone will have ownership or at least voting rights within an organization and company. So, for example, if you've got, I don't know, a food business or a technology company, rather than four people making the decisions, why not distribute power where you've got 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 employees and they get either working, uh, voting rights or actually ownership of the organization. And that way they feel, yeah, they feel also more responsible and they have agency over their own future. Mm. Well, that's really, I think there are companies, um, at least in the business literature, I think I've seen some like, not as full-on <laughs> examples, but I have seen some some models where where that is, where you know they they are really thinking about how to share the responsibility, but also increase the the sense of ownership um, as well. And I, that's um, yes, that's definitely something something to to aspire to and I think what you said about the young people kind of being unconstrained is also that they have the opportunity to challenge some of the assumptions that we make how the world should work or you know what what is work we've seen a lot of the hype around AI and <laughs> you know ChatGPT and mm. you know the robotics and how that might you know completely shift some of the roles that that we have today and I always say when people ask carry advice from me I'm always saying you know like also paying attention to the skills so what types of skills can you develop that you can kind of use across different industries and different organizations rather than kind of just sticking to a a role because I think that's quite limiting Mm. um so I mean in your life you've um you've obviously had had all these roles um what are some of your best kind of principles or rules of thumb when it comes to navigating change in life or navigating change at work yeah i think the first one it sounds uh really simple but actually accepting that change is gonna happen and it's inevitable so unless you do that change happens to you and you're kind of caught off guard but if you as a first principle accept that the world is always changing the workplace is always changing even if we look at nature it's always changing there's seasons and just embracing that second one i think what you actually said of what are those skills so i would i would focus on rather than focusing on what you don't have, where are your areas of expertise? Where where does your passion lie? And often those are evergreen areas. So let's say, for example, creativity or communication. These are things that will never go away. It's been there from the beginnings of human history and will continue to be there. So what are these areas Mm. that really kind of, drive you. I would say if you're a leader, sometimes it's really tough because sometimes you're instigating change. 
and you have to understand where others are coming from because when others look at that they're thinking what does this change mean for me my life my career and i would i would say to leaders more work needs to be done in terms of how do you bring people on that journey of change and really important to that is saying why things need to change and painting a vision for the change that's better than the current Mm. Uh, existing framework because sometimes it's like we need to change but that's that's not enough of a reason and then the last one Johanna I would say is just being comfortable with knowing that it's uh, uncertain it's uncomfortable and it's scary it's you sometimes have to make that leap of faith and that leap into the unknown And if I look back at my career, a lot of those areas of growth or the things I've been most happy about have been some of the most scary moments that if I'm, if I look at it back now, I'm not sure if I'll do it, but that's how you grow. That's how you develop. And, um, it shouldn't feel comfortable. Hmm. Yes. Cause I think we often do, you know, do you think that if something's not right like if it's not the right choice like it has to it has to be comfortable and you have to be in control but sometimes you know like you say like big change is not comfortable and definitely (laughs) definitely scary especially when it comes to you know um switching careers um and going you know as uh moving from from different sectors um so now that you have the people, so a private profit-driven business and it's up and running um, and you have moved across different roles to come um, come to be the founder of the startup, do you think that you'll ever go, for instance, into politics? Will the people or can the people, should, should those these types of businesses play a role in government? It's, it's a great question and it's one uh, we... I've heard others say to us, so I remember a few years ago, I was on a panel around like ESG and someone said, the only way you're going to kind of next step is politics. And for me, I think that's interesting because if I look at the current dynamics of the world, I truly believe at the moment, the biggest area for change and transformation is the private sector. There's just far more resources, influence, there and actually if we look at a lot of the political decision making and policies i'm making a generalization here but much of it is influenced by commerce and business so at the moment i just feel like if we can make an impact in the world of business that would naturally surface itself in the political structures because the economy is always connected to politics If you do see a billboard, (laughs) vote for the people, I'll let you know. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, thanks so much, Ken. That's been really, really fascinating, especially hearing more about your background and this kind of the many cultural but also professional leaps that you've you've had in your life. Um, What I really liked about um, your story as well was that you learn about what you do not like. And I think, 
because I think a lot of us do go through different professions and different roles and if we don't you know succeed in something we always you know a lot of people think that's that's a fail but I really like the way that you put it that you know doing different roles you know trying different things you actually find out what what you do like and sometimes I think that also helps to clarify the vision that you have and going okay that wasn't it um because you know there's some there's something else that's that's driving me and also (laughs) very much appreciate your your um comments also well obviously having the vision for the business but also being flexible how it manifests because I feel like a lot of the times we get so stuck in in a particular vision and how it must unfold and so and you know and there's so much uh, change around us all the time that you know there's multiple ways that vision can unfold and also the sales skills I think (laughs) I think we all need to learn some basic principles definitely for marketing any profession that that we are in uh, whether that's for for curious or the companies that we work for but I really want to thank you for for your time and and for a lot of the insights um, and I wish the best for the people thank you Johanna it's been a pleasure to join you and be in conversation The Worker Learner Podcast was brought to you by the Professional Learning Hub, Griffith University's platform for executive and professional education.